Welcome to the Sea Press Podcast, a podcast from the Presbytery of Seattle that invites you into conversations about issues and topics that are meaningful to the church and its people. Hi, I'm Scott Lumsden, co-executive presbyter of Seattle Presbytery, and this is the Sea Press Podcast, and we are with Susie Beal, pastor of Summit Avenue, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, transformation and change. Susie, hello. Want to introduce yourself a little bit? Hi, Scott. Yes, thanks for having me on this. Yeah, I'm Susie Beal. I'm the pastor over here in Bremerton at Summit Avenue Press. I've been here eight years. It's a congregation of about uh, 100 members now. They're about 130 when I came here, but uh, we've lost quite a few members to deaths. We're a military town. We have a lot of turnover with families and, and people that are in the military that come for a year or two or three and then they're gone. So that's that's who we are. And so there's there's a little bit of turnover or change with your setting, obviously we're in a time of tremendous uh, change uh, with the pandemic. And how has that transition gone for Summit Avenue? Yeah, it's, well, it was a shock to all our systems as, as it has been across the nation and the world to cancel in-person worship. So that was just devastating for all of us. But we've really, I've been impressed with people really rallying to figure things out. Our staff, you know, it took us about four or five weeks to kind of get in our groove of how we're going to do online worship, experimenting with the different possibilities there. And then church members and friends who are figuring out technology, helping a 92 year old get on zoom on Tuesday. And she's like, Oh, this doesn't look too complicated. And so she's, she's coming to coffee hour on Sunday, you know? So I think wherever we were at, we have all learned more about technology in the last two months and have gotten some steep learning curves. So that's been impressive and people are appreciating that. But what is interesting is we've been talking about transformation and who's God calling us to be in the future. And we had a really lovely year long process in 2019 where we talked about crossing the river, that image from Joshua of, of Joshua leading the Israelites across uh, the Jordan River into the new land and all that that event uh, evokes for leadership and, tra- and change and, and a congregational movement. And so we spent a year really examining that and, and, and we were experimenting and we had kind of created a culture of let's try new things and examine it and see how it goes and see what we will take with us. And then I thought we kind of were moving at a good pace, faster than Presbyterian standard speed, but not super fast. And then this pandemic has just thrown us over the river. Like you got to, it just kicked us over into it and we've Mm. all figured it out. But I think the culture and the mood was, okay, we've said we would do this. This is faster than we thought we would, but here we are. So how did how did this come about? How did this work of transformation and change at Summit Avenue come about? I'm going to guess it probably didn't come about because the congregation really wanted to adapt to new times on their own and were begging you, you know, for some opportunities to live into some new realities. Yeah, no, homeostasis is strong. Doing things the way we do them is comfortable and we see that everywhere. And so they weren't asking for change, but um, there were a few different factors going on. One was I was working on my doctoral doctor of ministry through Fuller Seminary. My whole question I was asking when I started was how to turn around small churches or what do we do about these churches that are 
older and traditional and heading to the edge of a cliff if we don't do something different? So those are the questions I was asking all through my program and bringing that to Summit Avenue as well. And that was on my mind personally and professionally and, and for my own vocation and call. We would try things. And they would get some energy and get some people like we had a youth director for three years. We had a mom's program for three years. And we would have this influx of younger people and energy and leadership. And then Mm. uh, when the leadership left because either the military took them or, Mm. you know, the the youth director had a a new call, like everything just went back to the way it was in 2010, you know, before I was ever here, it just kind of mm-hmm. went all the way back and people core membership just kept steady on and nothing changed. And I thought, okay, the short fixes are not, and those didn't even feel like short fixes, but in perspective now they were just to hire mm-hmm. a staff person, recruit a couple of young women to lead a mom's group, didn't do anything to shift the core of mm-hmm. summit is and mm-hmm. So I realized we needed to dig deeper. So at the end of 2018, I brought the numbers forward. And so when our mom's group and our youth director, those two two things kind of ended in a similar time frame and our numbers just dwindled in worship and giving. And I was like, I'm not going to try to fix that. Right. I'm just going to, we're going to let that ride. The numbers really started to People were paying attention. We went from 115, 120 in worship on an average Sunday to like 70. Those numbers, people were like, they couldn't ignore it anymore. And looking pledges and giving. And so I brought that. I said, we need to pay attention to this. At the end of 2018, I said, here's where we're headed. (laughs) If this trend doesn't stop, we have some decisions to make. And if you want, I said this to the session, I said, if you want a hospice, pastor to come help us close down. I know some people. We we know people who have done that. And I said, the Presbyterian will help us. We can do it graciously. I said, but I'm not your girl. If that's where you want to go, I'll help you find the right person for that. I said, but if you want to, we want to look to a new future, I would get excited about that and I would help lead that. But we're going to need a year of discernment. We set aside 2019 as a listening year. Wow discernment year. And so how, uh, how did that conversation go with session? I mean, obviously you didn't do it in one meeting, but what, what shifted for them or what, I mean, obviously fear can be a motivator, right? But it's kind of an old, it's, it's a motivator only so far, really. Right. Well, and I recognize that, you know, the matrix that I was doing that I kind of finally boiled down to for my final project for my doctoral program was Leading Change by John Cotter, comes out of Harvard School Business, to apply it to any organization. The first thing you need in order to change something is a sense of urgency. So it's like, we need to have a sense of urgency. And those two things, I wasn't like giving them, I wasn't trying to give them an ultimatum of like, I'm out of here, but I wanted them to know this is not my calling to to help a church die well. I, I could do it, but it's not my calling. So that was a sense of urgency. I think that they felt like, wait, you're going to go if we don't do something. But more than that was I did not pretend that things were okay with yeah. the church. And we have had a habit in, 
I don't know if other churches do this, but we've had a habit of padding our numbers at the end of the year so it doesn't look as bad as it is because we borrow from our savings account to cover the bills. So we're like, we finished the year in the black. Oh, oh. oh but wait a minute. We borrowed 20000 or 15000 from savings to cover the bills. Right. And so I said, we cannot do that in our annual reports anymore. We have got to show the honest truth. So we hmm. so 2017 and 2018 at the end of your reports, we had red, like we have got to show the congregation we are in the red, actually. Uh, and so it's kind of a wake up call and a sense of urgency and looking at the numbers. So they all kind of sat up a little straighter. It was probably two or three session meetings that those conversations unfolded. So, so part, of, part of that work was kind of facing the hard truths about yeah. who, who we are, not pretending, and you as a leader, again, I, for me, there's this, uh, there's this interesting shift, I think, that happens that when pastors engage this mode, they, they do actually, the traditional pastor mode is one that will accept a little padding and wants the, wants the numbers and everything to match up because that's, that's what makes us feel like this works. We're okay. Like this, yeah, yes. we're okay. You know, we feel good. Um, we end yeah. up here you know, just fine. But and the finance elders always know the truth and they're like, can't sleep at night. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. When the whole congregation knows it's, it's, it's just healthier. It's just better. Yes. And that's the only way it seems yeah. that a sense of urgency can develop because even yeah. if the session is the one leading the charge, but the congregation doesn't have the information, urgency and a sense of we need to do this will not so, so yeah, so what we ended up doing was the, the, that elevated the session to a level of urgency. Yeah. And then they appointed a task force for congregational engagement. Like we said, we need a year of congregational engagement to listen, to share, to hear from them and do some listening. And so, and we had a model from uh, Bob Logan was one of my professors and he has some really good books on, on, on leading change and the leadership difference is the book that uh, we use there. And he had one chapter on kind of an outline of a pro of a year long process of engagement. Wow. So we tailored that for us and we had four elders and myself on that task force. And we started to meet like in November, December of 2018 they were phenomenal. They were really remarkable. They leaned in. We read some stuff together on, on mm. leading. We kind of outlined a whole process. It was kind of like an hourglass shape, like start with the whole congregation, move down to a smaller number of people, like at a, um, uh, we called it a town hall meeting and then small groups and then session. And then, you know, that middle point of session decision-making, bringing Presbyterian, and then go back out to some, some small group, you know, focus groups, then another town hall, and then a congregation, you know, kind of, that was the process. So mm. we did a survey uh, on how are we, how are you feeling about the church? Uh, what are you willing, you know, what's your willingness to adapt to, to meet the needs of the future kind of questions? And what was interesting was, people were really quite pleased with the church. They're like, I love the way things are. But then when you asked, how concerned are you for the future? People were really concerned that, that yeah. I 
that paradoxical statement of, I love our worship service, I love our church, I love all the things we do, but also now that you've told me how things really are with the money and the numbers and the people and the membership, I am worried about mm -hmm. the future. Mm -hmm. And then we had one question, and we had like two questions in the survey that kind of got to how open are you yeah. to change yeah. in order to um, move forward? And people were really open to it. Like the, that was the shock for us as, as a team. Like no one said zero or one. Pretty much everyone was like a three to five. And what we did was then we gave those numbers back to the congregation at the town hall meeting in March. So we did the survey in January. We gave them the, in a beautiful graph with the mm -hmm. numbers and the mm -hmm. visual and said, here is what you said. Yeah. Here is what we're hearing from you. That was really a big shift and people really appreciated that and were like, mm. oh. Because, you know, we have the naysayers and they're loud, but what we found was there are only about four of them. <laughs> the rest of the congregation was like, yeah, we can do this. We could probably be adaptive. And that was really a big shift when the session heard that, when we as the task force heard that, that and to keep giving it back to them. You said you were up for this. And that was helpful. Right. And, and the naysayers heard that too. They did. Right? They and did. when the naysayers hear that, and they realize that they don't have as much control over the narrative, and they're not actually the majority like they think they are, then, then they have a decision to make. Do, yes. I, do I want my way or do I want to be the person who keeps us where we are? Or do I want to go with the people that I've committed to? And some, I, I, in my experience, some of those transformations are just as powerful as the corporate transformations. That some people actually do choose to cross the river, to use you know, your analogy there. They do. And you know when it happens is not when I talk to them. <laughs> it happens mm -hmm. you know, in the living room conversation, what we ended up doing, we these meet at the river conversations in the spring because we didn't say we were going to cross the river we said well let's meet at the river because you know the Israelites <laughs> camped out, right the israelites camped out at the river for a few days before they crossed so we said, let's let's just camp here for a while yeah. and for the month of i think april of 2019 we had like six different small group gatherings of like eight to 15 people and we facilitated the same thing at each one and to sit in those living rooms or sitting around those tables and have the naysayers hear the other eight people in the room, mm. their energy around something, you could see the shift in them like, oh, huh, interesting. But also they all got to give voice. We asked, you know, what are you worried? You know, what's your fear? What's your hope? Um, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing, you know, what, what do we need to take with us mm. over the river? You know, those kinds of things was real. Like, it was some of the most beautiful moments I've witnessed as a, as a pastor to see the mm. vulnerability people shared in those, those settings. That was really exciting to mm -hmm. see the congregation show up, lean into the conversation. And, and then you saw the people who are usually quiet had to put their sticky notes on the board with wow. their comments and their hopes and their 
interests and their sense of where the spirit's leading. And that was interesting because they didn't have to talk, but they could communicate. That just sort of leveled the playing field, I think, for the conversation too. So as I think about the first attempt at change and transformation with kind of staffing, which, you know, again, a lot of us have, uh, you know, have kind of done that and seen that. And Mm -hmm. it can have some, it can generate a little momentum. The difference, the contrast between what you're talking about, what you just shared, Mm -hmm. and kind of the first attempt at Mm -hmm. transformation just seems to be so different in character. Yeah, because when you hire someone, like, you know, we hired a youth director, because the big need everybody said when I was hired here in 2012 was, we need a youth program, we need a youth program. And I was like, I am, I'm not your girl for that either. Yeah. I did youth ministry for 20 years. I'm not doing that again. I love it, but it's not, again, you're going to get someone better than me, and, but I'll help you. So we got a youth director, but then everybody just feels this complacency. It tends to, the, the psychology of it seems to be that, oh, good, we hired someone. He can take care of it. Right. And we can just keep doing our thing. This process was, oh, this is our responsibility towards transformation. Not We can't just hire this out and keep doing what we like while this other person does this satellite thing. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't change anything. There's no transformation oh. there. Yeah, and the, what I heard is that the, the transformation was already starting. People were changing. They were, their hearts were changing. Yeah. And and now as the leader, as the pastor, you're yeah. it seems like the the mode now for the leader is to to keep that going and yeah. to keep lifting that up to, yeah. to the congregation that this is this is we may not know exactly where we're going, but this mm-hmm. is the character of, of, of mm-hmm. where we want to go. This is Exactly. And and you know, and all along I didn't know where we would end up. <laughs> it was just like we feel called to this. We're going to listen. And then I was sending you emails, Scott and Eliana, you know, in early 2019, or even end of 2018, saying, here's where we're headed. Here's what I think we're going to do. And I know we're going to need your help at some point. I've got enough tools to get us to probably May, <laughs> you know, last year about this time. Uh, I think it was our May session meeting, Eliana came and listened and we shared with her where we were at and she was, and so that, that's what we needed. We needed some, we needed to know what our resources were, what our options were, if, if we're going to move forward. So that was super helpful to have, then the presbytery came in and then we started those conversations with her and with you uh, more formally. And she was like, cause we knew we needed help. We knew we needed help from you all to help us give you know formulate strategy and ideas and, and move forward but I also all along knew I couldn't do it alone because another thing in leading change is you need a you need a team you need you need more than one person my favorite example is that God incarnate got a staff like Jesus <laughs> recruited leaders like if God incarnate couldn't do it alone then who am I to do this alone and so I knew that we were going to need at least one paid staff person, um, possibly two. And, and so that's kind of where we, what we brought to Eliana. And that's where the kind of the grant process started. She's like, well, we've, we've got a grant process. Why don't you apply? <laughs> I was like, mm. okay. And we brainstormed some numbers. She's like, sure. That's within the realm of possibility just to submit it. And, and I was like, okay. So <laughs> we submitted it. That's where it got fun. That's a lot of money. You're asking for it. 
<laughs> where did this come from? And it did, it got, it, that's what it got real for us. And for, I think it, it I, I don't know what the conversations it had, you guys started to have there, but what we heard back was yes and yes, but we, we have some figuring out to do too. Yeah, I mean, there, there, the same process that uh, was going on for you in Summit Avenue was going on within the Presbytery leadership as well, trying to figure out how do we let's let's be honest with ourselves. We're we're a mainline organization. You know, our heyday was back in the day. What would it take for a Presbytery to be a part of the transformation efforts that we know we want to see within our congregations? And what mm-hmm. does that mean? So that's how the transformation, the transformational grant uh, got started. And then it, it did get just a little bit bogged down because we, <laughs> we, uh, we kind of hit a pause uh, and, and we're back and, and we've committed money to yep. this process. We, we're in it and yep. we're in it with our congregations. And we know that, you know, because I, I've, you know, I've, I've been in the Presbyterian now for 12 years and We've done these smaller grants for kind of an add-on position without mm-hmm. any transformational prep or mm-hmm. pastors are always doing their best to set up the right conversations and move things forward, but it does get bogged down. And the change sometimes doesn't take root because it is kind of external to the core like you kind of mentioned. And so we needed to come up with a way where we, we started with the core. So the first step in the process is to have some internal leadership conversations about, are we in this? Uh, just like, you know, what you guys did. And, and then it moves forward to developing a plan. And, and that's where, you know, you guys were ahead of many of our congregations, or many, some of them have already started this, even without the Presbyteries kind of uh, being yeah. ready or support, um, yeah. which is great. Where are things now? Obviously, the, yeah. the pandemic throws just a huge wrench in, in <laughs> yeah. everything. So then last summer, uh, we had a lot of those conversations. We got a kind of a grant writing group together. And it was really so amazing to be part of and to see what the spirit was up to beyond me, beyond Summit Avenue, to, to then when, you know, talking to you and Eliana and, and Tally to realize, wow, you've been having these same conversations too, which I kind of knew, but I didn't know the timing was quite as, you know, parallel as, as it was. And then also a friend of mine that uh, I've had preach here over the last few years, she's been in seminary at George Fox, and I knew she was graduating this time last year. And uh, she and I had been thinking because what happened was Eliana said uh, the I was like, we need a staff like what kind of person could we get? You know, how would we hire this person? And she said, uh, you know, it most often works if you find someone in your own community. It wouldn't be, especially us over here in Bremerton on on the peninsula to have someone commute from Seattle to do the job just wouldn't make sense. So she said, pray for and, and think about someone in your own community. And so then I thought of this friend who was just graduating from seminary and really has just the things that I think this person was going to need, you know, as I was dreaming about what kind of leader we would need. And I thought, well, Deanna would be fabulous. And, um, but she, she and her husband had a commitment to a ministry in North Kitsap. Mm -hmm. And then that changed, uh, their life changed. And I, 
saw it on Facebook and, and I gave her, you know, a week or two because it was kind of a, a really hard change for them. And so I, I ended up reaching out to her and I said, hey, would you like to have coffee? And, um, you know, back when we used to be able to meet for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> right. Remember those days? Yeah. So, you know, I bought her, bought her lunch and we talked and I said, here's where we're at. And, and she was like, wow. Like they were in a really big transition as a family as their ministry shifted and she was suddenly available and we had a position. And so as she was praying and we were praying and that kind of those conversations kept being energized and it was really one of those, I don't know if this is a fit. I'm feeling the nudging of the spirit. Things just kind of move forward between her and the presbytery and our team to the point where when Presbytery had, uh, you guys said yes, but it was going to take a while. Like the money's here. We just need to get our, our structure in place in order to get, and which makes sense. That's Presbyterian process, right? We need, you can't just give us money without the Presbytery being a part of that process, yeah. right? Presbyterian standard speed, if you like to say. Presbyterian standard speed. But the, what was so exciting was we had people here so energized by the process, and the people that were part of the grant writing task force last summer were so energized by it all. And they met Deanna and interviewed her and had conversation. We had this vision of crossing the river and Deanna as a guide in the river. And we really had this metaphor leading us. And, and then when we heard, you know, the money might not be able to come till January, but it was September and we had like three people around the table said, well, I'll write a check today to get her here. Like, let's make this happen. And some of those people were said, I don't need that paid back. And some said, well, can we be paid back with the Presbyterian yeah, money? Sure, sure. That kind of thing. But the, the spirit in the room that day was really just magnificent calling people to that. And, and so then we hired Deanna. She started at the beginning of October. And yeah, we were working on stuff. And some of it was music because we have a really strong traditional music ethic here and good quality um, organ and choir. And, and so that piece of that's just not on the other side of the river. Yeah. We can bring it with us and there we can bring the organ and the choir with us, but we're also going to need to add some instruments and add some, some new leadership in, in, in new ways. And so we did experimenting this fall some of it went really well, and some of it people were really angry about. Mm -hmm. We are, like, we said, this is what we're doing. And we had process for listening in place, which was really helpful. The culture of experimenting and moving forward is where we were at last fall. And, and then this spring, we uh, just passed, like, probably in our February session meeting, a motion to hire somebody, a, a, a kind of a worship consultant person who she was going to be, she's a perfect fit for what we needed, somebody to help lead through that part. We haven't been able to have her in because of coronavirus, but yeah. Deanna's been able to do some more connecting with other generations. We've been doing community development. And the big thing for me was that that freed me up. Having her on staff then has freed me up to do the community engagement that I've never been able to really do, to like get involved in Kitsap County. I'm on a conference, I'm on the Council for Human Rights now for Kitsap County. Like I'm, I'm involved in the community now at a level that I have never been, had capacity for because I was doing everything at the church. 
So that's been a big shift because part of it was to to grow our community within the church and you know grow the church, but really we wanted to be more community involved and community engagement and community organizing as part of our mission and vision, but we didn't have anybody to do that. We have energy for that um, and capacity for that. And so your community knows you uh, now because of this process in a different way and knows about your church in a different way than it did before. Yeah, we're getting there. Like it's, Mm -hmm. this is the first year we were going to be at Kitsap Pride uh, this summer, but that's been canceled altogether. And we, right at the beginning of March, we were, there was a big military appreciation day, like a couple thousand people at the Kitsap County Fairgrounds from all the military families. We were there for the first time. So we're getting, like, that's one layer of community engagement, just to be present at things. Um, That's not all, of course, but we'd never even done that before. So, yeah. So obviously things have changed in the last three months. Are you finding that you're having, uh, I mean, you just talked about having more uh, bandwidth and energy, and I know we've talked about that before um, for leading change. You really do need, obviously, the urgency and buy-in from the leadership, but you also have to have the energy to to do it. And it sounds like the the team kind of that you were hoping to assemble this time is really kind of taking root. How's the session feeling about kind of continuing on and, and the future? How's the congregation feeling about uh, moving forward? I mean, I know there's a lot of uncertainties. I mean, this is, if anybody has a beat on the next six to 12 months, uh, I'd, I'd love to talk to them. But I mean, how, yeah, are, no. how, are, they, how are they feeling about the, the future? So session yeah. feeling like there are some things we can do to be prepared for the future. Being adaptive is the most important thing they're realizing. And putting the right people behind or in front of the different tasks is really helpful. Susie, this has been uh, really helpful and really appreciate your your work at uh, Summit Avenue, the effort and the time and the attention and care you've taken in leading uh, Summit Avenue to uh, ask some deeper questions and and live into some newer realities. So thank you. Any any last thoughts or any uh, last comments? Yeah, I I just want to thank you, Scott, and thank Eliana and Tally for being there and and the conversations we've had over the last couple of years have been really helpful to know I'm not alone mm. and to know that there are people who care about how it's going over here that matters you know and you've said some things that I don't think you even remember saying to me <laughs> sometimes <laughs> all that you and that have really helped me kind of plant seeds along the way of this is possible this is this is within the realm of possibility that we could help help fund a position or we could this this is important work and we would be with you in this like that just matters so mm-hmm. thank you. Mm-hmm. thank you uh, well this is teamwork you know the fact that you asking questions of of the presbytery uh, <laughs> helps us right I mean you know mm-hmm. it's just we're in this together so thanks yeah for what you do absolutely uh well thank you very much for the uh for the time today probably see you on zoom again (laughs) yeah absolutely thank you